On today's episode, AFC and NFC Championship games. Clothes don't make the man. Did Byron Leftwich already shoot himself in the foot with this new Jags gig? And a whole lot more. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Chopping It Up with Peace Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly, and it is Friday, January 28th. We are on the cusp of championship weekend in the NFL. Bengals at Chiefs, Niners at Rams. It is going to be bananas. I'm going to leave with this Bengals and Chiefs game because that's the first game that's going to be played on Sunday. And this game leads you to believe that it would be just a shoot him out, right? Bang, 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 Joe Brr, and Patty Mahomes, Jamar Chase. Tyree Kill, there's going to be 50 burgers flipped all over the place, right? Sometimes when we expect these high-scoring games, though, we get low-scoring games. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but it might happen. Just like this Niners and Rams game, it's supposed to be more of a defensive struggle because of San Francisco's defense and LA's got just monsters across the board and Jimmy Garoppolo's playing quarterback. But to go back to this, uh, this Bengals and Chiefs game, we're supposed to be thinking it's going to be a high-scoring game, and it most likely will be, but don't be surprised if it's low-scoring because that's what the NFL likes to do. That's what Vegas likes to do, those betting jerks. But when you really get down to like the actual game itself, so Cincinnati gave up nine sacks to Tennessee in one, and that never happens. I Technically, it happened once in 2000, but that that's over two decades ago, okay? In large part, that just doesn't happen. Like, there were times that that offensive line looked like the offensive line the longest yard. Like, you can pick whichever one you want to. If you're an old head like me and you've seen the original and you saw Burt Reynolds have it, or if you're a new head and you saw the one with Adam Sandler. Like, they were just letting dudes run right through it. There's, nope, Jeffrey Simmons, you got it, Ben. Let's go do you, boo-boo. We're not even trying. It, it was like their offensive line for most of those sacks were just matadors and just waving them red flags and letting dudes come right through. Now, as far as the game plan is concerned, if you are not going to protect Joe Burrow, you will get the absolute break speed off of you if you're Cincinnati. Because you can't afford to give up nine sacks again. Now, I don't know if Kansas City's defense is going to do that. It's pretty improbable that they will have almost double-digit sacks as well. But if that's the case... Cincinnati has no chance at all because the offense that you'd be going up against with KC is far more explosive. They're way more dangerous. Patrick Mahomes is way better than Tannehill. <laughs> Tyreek Hill is better than Julio Jones, especially at this point in Julio Jones's career and AJ Brown. Like, you're just, you have no chance if you're going to give up almost 10 sacks again. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does, this thing could get ugly real quick. Like, but Joey Burr is going to have to be that dude once again. He, this, this has the potential to be one of those crazy shootouts, right? Well, because when we look at the offensive talent, like with Cincinnati and Buffalo, let's just do that. Like, you can, if you really want to do this, you can coin flip between Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. Jo- Josh Allen over the past two years has proven himself to be this quarterback. Joe Burrow with a year and a half, essentially. He was really good his rookie year, and he was really good this year too. But you can make the argument that the overall wide receiving core in Cincinnati and offensive talent technically is better than what Buffalo has. Like, Buffalo still has Stephon Diggs, and I don't think Jamar Chase is on the level of Stephon Diggs yet, but he's on that trajectory though. But you got Chase and Higgins and Boyd and Mixon, and the Bengals use all of them. 
So there are some matchup problems that they can present to Kansas City. So as long as the offensive line doesn't play like absolute doo-doo butter, there is a chance for Cincinnati to potentially upset Kansas City. Now, the thing is, like, they still the Bengals, though. Are they going to continue to still be the Bengals, though? Because they were a laughing stock essentially forever. Like, And they've had some good teams over the years, right? The Carson Palmer and the Ocho Cinco years, the Marvin Lewis what seemed like six decades of coaching, you know, but you've been nicknamed the Bungles for a reason. So this is a, it's a very small sample size of how good these guys could be going forward. But man, offensively, they got the skill position guys now and they're all crazy young. And at the beginning of the season, we thought that they were going to take Penny Sewell. And that, in the grand scheme of things, it probably, it probably made more sense to go that route initially, right? Someone to protect Joe Burrow. And that's what we all thought was going to happen because of the injury that Burrow had last year. But Jamar Chase was absolutely balling this year. As far as your offensive line is concerned, that is going to have to be addressed. Like, you can't be doing this and having your dude get sacked nine times every game, you know, or, you know, four, five, six every game. It's going to shorten his career. And then you're going to be having to pick another quarterback in the lottery again. But it, it worked for you this year. You got all the skill position dudes. Now go get an O-line, and the Bengals could be good for a while. But if they don't address the O-line, and they just trying to go out here with skill position dudes, Joe Burrow's career might be shorter than what everybody thinks it's going to be. But to get back to the game and what we might expect, yo, the NFL needs to ride the coattails of the last two games of the divisional round. As wildcard weekend was largely, Saturday was, Sunday was just, a cocaine-laced gridiron extravaganza. Like, it was just balls to the walls for like six straight hours. And they need to ride that momentum into Bengals' cheese because I don't want to see this low scoring. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I want to see 50 burgers flipped. All of them. With all that being said, though, I still got the cheese winning this game. I just... It's hard for me to go against Patty Mahomes. It really is. Like... I don't understand why we do this with him. Like, everybody else, if they're just good, we get, well, he's a winner. And I think that's the only way that we can qualify people if they win games, but they don't win you games. Like, Patrick Mahomes won that game for Kansas City last week. But, like, he's been so good, and he's got so much else, like, kind of around him. And not even just that, but, like, what he does in his aura, it's just Patrick Mahomes is really good at football. But we don't really categorize him as like winner guy, right? It's all guys like Jimmy Garoppolo because he's won games, largely in spite of his play. You know, we did this with Tim Tebow back in the day when he was in the NFL. It was winner guy. Yeah, but you weren't good in the NFL. These, both these guys aren't. But I feel like that's the only thing that we do. Like we, we only do it with those marginal quarterbacks who win because the football team around them is good. He's winner. He's got the it factor. Why are we not doing that with Mahomes? Like, I just don't understand. Is it because he's got Andy Reid and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey? Where it's like, we're just going to not put that type of respect on his name? It, like, And Patrick Mahomes has kind of gotten into this realm that we sometimes do, like with NBA superstars as well, where if they struggle for a bit, it's, ah, oh, they got him figured out. Like, nobody figured out Patrick Mahomes. They figured out the Chiefs offense, and then they recalibrated. I don't understand why people do this. When the Patriots were struggling a few years back, and it was like, ah, they're done, and they just went to a Super Bowl. The Chiefs struggled this year. They got him figured out. Really, he's not allowed to have four like rough games in a row of his entire career. 
Now homeboy is in his fourth AFC Championship game in a row and on the verge of potentially going to a third straight Super Bowl. The NFL has not figured him out. And the thing with Mahomes for me is, statistically, he may never have a season like he did a couple of years ago. He may never throw for 50 touchdowns, and he may never throw for 8 billion yards, right? But that doesn't mean that he's not getting better than he was, or that he's not better today than he was two years ago when he had that absolutely just stupid stat line of a season. So as far as like how great Patrick Mahomes is, I feel like we've kind of like actually kind of discredited because he's been so good for so long. We just kind of expected we've done this with LeBron James. Like he went to the finals like 40 years in a row and then he doesn't make the playoffs one year. And it's always he's fallen off. No wait. If you're going to be that person, if you're going to be a hater, dude, just admit that you're a hater, dude. Cause that's really what it really boils down to. All right. That was a, that was a weird little segue, but I don't really know what else would you expect from me at this point in time? You've been listening to me in some form or fashion on some platform from some different podcast for a year now. You shouldn't expect anything different. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this Rams and Niners game. But in the intro, I said, clothes don't make the man. And the reason why I say that is this is kind of a, a defense, if you will, for lack of a better term, of both Odell Beckham Jr. and Matt Stafford. All these guys have heard their entire careers. Yeah, well, what have you done? Which is like the dumbest thing we can do in sports. It's such a it's such a Neanderthal, dumb it down to the lowest common denominator of well, what have you done? Clothes don't make the man. Is it doesn't matter what color jersey you put these dudes in, they are flat out ballers. End of discussion. I'm just so tired of people flipping the narratives of like now everyone's like oh well Matt Stafford's real good man he was good in Detroit everything else there was just absolute dog shit though and the thing is like if he wins on Sunday it's gonna be look at Detroit. Look, all the, all the, or Jared Goff is going to get all the heat in the world too. Like, yeah, you went to Super Bowl with Jared Goff in spite of him. Now you're going because of Matt Stafford. The narrative is going to change because of three goddamn football games for Matt Stafford, that is. And good Lord, could you imagine if he wins a Super Bowl this year? Oh my Lord. It is going to be, I told you Matt Stafford. I told you Matt Stafford. But beforehand it was, what has he done? What has he ever done? It's just such a stupid thing that we do as a society in the world of sports. The thing I've always said on this show is that people want to be right, but they don't want to get it right. Whatever just happened is what the overwhelming majority of sports fans thinks is what somebody is, is what a team is. Whatever just happened, that is who you are. And there's more to it than that. There's more context. Like Detroit was an absolute dumpster fire for like Matt Stafford's entire career. Well, you had Calvin Johnson. Yeah, and Calvin Johnson put up stupid numbers. He's got Cooper Cup. Yeah, and he put up stupid numbers. So both of these guys, like like the eye test tells you that they're still good at football. Like there's nothing that you can tell me that would suggest otherwise. And especially like, when it comes to Odell with like the whole bad teammate thing, man, what the, are you in the locker room? Do you know? Because I'll tell you what, if I was Odell, I'd be more frustrated with my teammates than my teammates should be frustrated with me because he's played with absolute dog sh- quarterbacks besides Matt Stafford his entire career. That's right. I'm throwing Eli Manning slander out there. Well, he won two Super Bowls. Yeah, and if that's your only argument for how good he is, then go ahead and take a back seat because this one's going to hurt. We have other quarterbacks who have not been good who have won Super Bowls. And they don't. The thing is, like, for them, though, it always gets categorized as game manager. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But most of what we remember Eli for is a throw to David Tyree, a throw to Plasco Burris, playing for 30 billion years and being Peyton Manning's younger brother. Along with now, hot sauce commercials, because I put that on everything. But yeah, Eli had two really good runs and basically a culmination of six, seven football games that ended up winning him two rings. 
But for the most, the the Giants missed the playoffs more times than they made it with Eli. Is that good? The answer to that riddle is no. He ended his career with literally a 500 record. Now the yards are bonkers, but when you play for 30 years, that's what happens. And his touchdown interception ratio is one and a half to one. He has like 360 touchdowns and like 240 interceptions, somewhere in that ballpark. Like if you just extrapolate those numbers across an entire career, you're saying that guy's not any good at football. Because not if you go eight and eight every year and you throw 30 touchdowns but 20 interceptions, we're looking at you as why the hell is this guy still employed? But that ring, man, that ring buys you a lot of equity and it buys you a lot of longevity. It buys you a lot of job security. It's absolutely insane. We touched on this a little bit earlier in the week. Could you imagine if the 49ers didn't give up third and 20 on a 50-yard play to Tyree Kill and Jimmy Garoppolo ends up with a Super Bowl ring? Could you imagine the just ungodly narrative that we put around him then? Trey Lance never gets drafted. He probably gets another bag from the Niners. Like This whole thing changes. If that last six minutes goes completely different for San Francisco and it goes completely different for Jimmy Garoppolo. So yeah, when I said that Odell Beckham Jr. has had dog sh- quarterbacks, it's because he largely has. Like he got targeted a bunch in New York and he didn't get targeted at all in Cleveland, but he's still a crazy good football player. Now going forward with his career, I have no idea what's going to happen with him because I have a feeling that he might still want to try to be that number one dude or maybe he's like, yo, I'm good in L.A. If I'm the number two, if Odell Beckham Jr. is our number two wide receiver, you're sitting pretty good as a football team. But the reason why I'm not sure if he's going to want to do that is because the dude's basically been paying or he's been playing for essentially free the entire season because he want to have his contract in Bitcoin or some type of cryptocurrency. And that thing's taken a plunge. He's, he's made very, very little money this year. This is why you get the bag and not the coins, man. But what we're seeing from him in LA is the fact that he's rising his stock back up again to be able to get another big contract. And especially if LA does win on Saturday or on Sunday and they do go to a Super Bowl and he has a bonkers game, that that dude's going to get another crazy max deal. Just watch. If, if that is how it plays out, that's exactly how it's going to go. But yeah, this was like more of a defending thing of, of Stafford and, and Beckham because Everything we hear in the sports media is like, just think for yourself. Like, don't try to be the guy in the moment and say, this guy on NFL Live said this. That means that this is what is. Just think for yourself, man. Like, this is, I've never dogged OBJ. I've never dogged Matt Stafford because the eye test tells me these guys are good at football. Everything else around them has failed them, though. Like, even in Cleveland, like, that football team is ready to win. But they're being handcuffed by Baker Mayfield in his incompetence. Like, that's... You should be feeding. Now, he missed a lot of time in Cleveland, okay? So I understand like why the stats themselves are down. But when he was right, that's your number one wide receiver, and you should be feeding that dude because Jarvis Landry is a great number two, but to me, he's not a really great number one wide receiver. You got Odell Beckham to be the target, just to be the guy who eats. And when he was on the field, you just didn't. Okay. 49ers at Rams. (laughs) So earlier... In the first segment, I said, you know, this, it, it paints the picture that this should be a defensive struggle or maybe not like struggle, struggle, but you know, it's going to be fairly low scoring, even though we're looking at a really good offense in San Francisco. We're looking at a really good, just offense in general with the Rams. And I know this sounds cliche, but it's really going to come down to who can win in the trenches, right? Cause like that defensive line for the Rams is just absolutely just Jacked across the board. And I think LA is going to have to be a little bit creative, like with their defensive, uh, with their defensive schemes, because 
you don't know, like Debo's the guy that you got to find, right? Like the offense kind of runs through him. It doesn't run through Garoppolo, it runs through Debo Samuel. So it's probably going to be something like if you see Debo lined out wide, I would imagine that Ramsey's probably going to shadow him. And if he's in the backfield, then you're going to have Ramsey kind of over on Ayuk. Or sometimes even switch it up and put him on Kittle if you do know that Debo's in, it all depends on formation and things like that, you know, but I feel like LA is going to have to be a little bit more creative with their defensive scheme just because of the matchup problem that Debo gives you. And like I said, it's really going to come down to, really for me, (laughs) it is Garoppolo, man. I know, I kind of defended him earlier on the week because, like I said, I live in Alaska, so I know what doing anything in zero degree weather or colder feels like. So I can understand, you know, guys dropping passes. Because he had three or four balls early in the game that were right on people and that were dropped. But your boy also had three to five plays that could have easily been picked off and a couple that should have been picked sixes. And that is not going to happen against Jalen Ramsey and them boys, right? You know, if you're going to just lollipop it and noodle arm it in there, Jalen Ramsey will eat that. It really will come down to, can Garoppolo just be competent enough today? Well, Sunday to not lose this football game for you. And one of the things that I had, I didn't touch on this last week and I meant to was when they were playing Green Bay last week, I was really surprised. Like I did not see Trey Lance at all. And I figured that they would at least have a couple packages set up for him because it was so cold that maybe you have in some run packages, maybe you do something goofy or you've got both Garoppolo and Trey Lance at the exact same time or maybe it's short yardage and you run him with an option, like whatever. Like I just figured that they would have some kind of package put together for him in Green Bay because of the weather. I mean, you're you're fighting for your playoff lives, so I understand like you wouldn't want to try to get too cute in that scenario, but it did kind of surprise me that there wasn't anything for him on the field. But I do think that in this game against LA, like you're gonna see at least a couple plays where Trey Lance is out there. You know, it's fourth and short and you're using him out there for like an intended bootleg or a play action pass or just or you got him in, you know, he's set out wide as the wide receiver, like whatever the case might be, I would not be surprised if this game you do see a Trey Lance sighting at some point. So for this game, for me, like it really boils down to if Jimmy Garoppolo is Jimmy Garoppolo, then I don't think that the 49ers can win. They're going to need him to be Jimmy Neutron and actually play like a starting quarterback and not a game manager. And LA is going to have to stop that run game. Not not just Liza Mitchell, but also Debo. And find, you got to find out where Debo is. And if you can neutralize him, I think that the Rams could win this one going away because if you make Jimmy Garoppolo have to throw and beat you, it's game over for San Fran. All right, so we're about to wrap up today's episode with a little bit more Byron Leftwich talk. We had done it a few days ago, but there was a quote by LaShawn McCoy that I thought was kind of interesting, so I wanted to share my thoughts on that with you guys. So the other day I brought up Byron Leftwich and said, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a good head coach. Um... We just don't know with any of these guys, you know, uh, we, you see through social media all the time and it's just like, it's just fans. Like, I think this is a great hire. This hire doesn't make any sense. You don't know what you're talking about. Like we have no idea if these guys are going to be good or not. So when I see guys like Byron Leftwich get his job, I thought it was, you know, a little bit Mickey Mouse, but not to the degree that Urban Meyer was. Jacksonville to me seems like they just want to be part of the club again. They're, like, they're just looking for anything to be relevant. So the Urban Meyer thing happened and half the country thought he was going to epically fail. Half the country thought that he was going to turn that program around instantly. And I just said, oh, let this let this thing play out a little bit. Now, once he started getting to work, I thought real quick, this might not be, you guys may have really, really screwed the pooch on this one. And again, I'm not saying that that's what Byron Leftwich is going to do. I'm just saying, let's pump the brakes and let this man actually work a day 
before we even start to assess how good or how bad of a coach he's going to be. But my initial thought was, why would you pick Byron Leftwich? And the obvious answer is, well, look how good the Bucks have been. Okay, well, look how good the Bucks have been once they got Tom Brady. Like, Tom, Byron Leftwich was not considered a coaching candidate two years ago. But now that you've got a Super Bowl under your belt and another divisional around your belt, that's when these resumes start to get inflated. And we don't know if you are going to be a gray head coach, but just because you got that, you got those runs, those playoff runs under you, it we automatically assume that you're going to be the next guy. You hire a guy under the, the Belichick or the Reed or the Saban tree. You think you're getting Belichick, Reed, or Saban, and you're not. And Arians isn't quite that guy, but the recent success is going to start getting these coordinators other gigs. And what's funny is, and I, I, I touched on this on the previous show, is you know, if I'm Byron Leftwich, it's like I'm not mad at him because if he goes back and they struggle, he's not going to be a head coaching candidate next year. You know, that's with the assumption that Brady doesn't come back, which we're all kind of assuming. And if he did stay and they did struggle, would he be there again? And I would like to think, no, it's almost like the whole Garoppolo thing we we're talking about earlier. If they don't screw up that Super Bowl two years ago, Trey Lance doesn't get drafted, all this other noise. It's a very circumstantial business that we're dealing with. So as far as his credibility as a head coach, I just want to see him do it before I start making any kind of assumption one way or the other. But the thing I wanted to touch on real quick is this quote from LaShawn McCoy. And it's via The Athletic. And he's like, hey, anybody got any incentives in y'all contract? If y'all do, let me know. I'm going to get y'all y'all paper because I'm about that. And Michelle McCoy says, yo, I love that type of coach. Okay. So to me, this is a double-edged sword. Now, not every NFL player or every professional athlete is like this. But when you start throwing money around to them, they're looking just after them, right? Especially when you lace these things with incentives, it does become about their own production. It can sometimes provide this what was uh what was the word they used with uh with Brett Farr back in the day? Oh, a schism. It can create a schism in the locker room. What is the symbolism? What is the s- symbolism? Is what you mean? Little Boondock Saints reference for the fans out there. But I think that it sometimes can because it makes it you're you're already putting it out there. This is about you. When in the dynamic of team sports, it's supposed to be team first and not. I first. So I think that can be a little bit of the issue. Like if, if your coach is just coming out and saying and blatantly out in the open saying, I'm about my guys getting their incentives. Well, don't you think that also creates a little bit of a, kind of a tip at the hat to coordinators toward the end of the season if that's when these things are happening? Because I don't know about you guys, but a couple of years ago with Antonio Brown and he had some incentives that he had to get, I hammered him on DraftKings and it paid out for me with Gronkowski this year. It got leaked of how many catches and touchdowns and yards and cetera that he needed. And I hammered him and it paid off. Uh, You could obviously say, well, if that's the case, no, devise a plan to not do that. But if you've already been open and saying that you're trying to get these guys incentives, you kind of got to stick to your word. And it does tip your hat to defensive coordinators. I don't know why. I can't be the only person who thought of that, you know, because it was reported by everybody about how much money Gronkowski was going to make this year if he hit his targets like on the very last couple weeks of the season. And I know that this didn't come directly from Leftwich, but if it comes from a former player, you gotta, I would think that it was probably true. If it was just quote unquote reported from somebody, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in it. But a former player doing that, there's probably some validity to it. And this is something that I, that I have lived by. And it's something I haven't really touched on in a while because I haven't really needed to bring it back up. But now that we're in this space, this is like the perfect time to kind of reiterate it is I believe that whatever like your first press conference is, whether you're a coach, 
owner, GM, like whatever, whatever space you occupy where you are going to be, you're going to be in front of the media giving answers is whatever you say initially, you need to stick with that. There are some coaches who say, hey, we're just trying to put the best product out there. And, you know, whether it's team presence, general manager, whatever, we're trying to put the best product out there. And they, you know, they're non-committal to, you know, keeping guys under contract if they're if they're asked questions about players under contract or upcoming free agents. And I think if you stay with that, then that's good. And you that's an easier way for you to go forward because then it, it keeps the expectation lower of how how much can the media manhandle you? Because you're going to ask those questions every year anyways with, with important players with their contracts that are coming up. So if you keep it at X player, you know, we're just trying to put the best product out there. Everybody, you know, we're not trying to chop anybody, but my job as a GM is to put the best product out there and, and have the best players. That way it makes it look like you're running like a business. You're not trying to be other people's friends. But when you come out and say, this person's in our plans long-term, Nine times out of 10, that person is getting gone sooner than later via trade or being cut. Or so like, if you come out and say, this person's in our long-term plans, I'm reading through that and saying, no, he is not. And to me, you lose credibility when you do that. Because at that point in time, all you're doing is just kind of pandering to like the most Neanderthal sports fan of, well, the GM said this, like he's not going anywhere. Like we saw that with Gettleman and Odell Beck. Like there's so many examples of, person in charge says this and the complete opposite happens. So my thing is like, if this is true, which I believe that there is some validity to it, he's going to need to like keep his word with these players because if he doesn't try to feed them when they're close to these incentives, it's going to start ruining his reputation. And like, cause you might like the Jaguars might be able to get some dues that they may not otherwise have been able to get because they're like, Oh, he's going to try to get me paid. Let's do this so I can get my money. But if he starts thinking team first because there's too much on the line, he thinks that feeding you is wrong. It could get ugly when those types of things happen. So whatever side of the fence that left, which is actually on, he's going to need to lean hard into it. Whether he's like, no, that's not who I am. I'm here to coach and I'm here to win football games. Or if he says, yeah, if, if, you're, if your contract's laced with incentives, I'm going to do my best to get you that money. Whichever side of that picket fence that he's on, he needs to lean into it. Okay, and that's going to wrap up today's show. I want to thank everybody for stopping in to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. We are available on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts currently. As always, stay up, stay blessed, and we'll catch you on the next one.